crabs. Known for being crustaceans. Famous for being crabby. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why crabs are secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone because I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Golden. Katie, what is your relationship to... Crabs, 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 crabs. (laughs) Begin the chanting of the crabs. Yes, good. Crabs. My quick one is that this made me realize I'm a tiny bit grossed out by these animals. It's not phobic, but... I don't love them either, and I do eat their meat. You struggle with sea life. Yeah, that's just me. You struggle a little bit with sea life, yeah. The ocean is my opponent, so I am into Mr. Krabs now. That's probably the biggest positive thing uh, Mm. from from SpongeBob, but, uh, you know, that's about it. Our favorite crab who does wage theft. So, yeah, no, I like like crabs. I don't have a problem with them. They do not gross me out. I had a hermit crab as a pet when I was a kid— I don't recommend them as pets. They, I don't think they make very good pets. This one crawled into my armpit, uh, started clinging on to the skin of my armpit, and would not let go. And it was a, enormously painful. And um, ah. I couldn't pull it off because I was worried if I did that, I would like rip its little arm off. So I just had a crab in my armpit for like a couple hours. Shoot. Couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, I was 12. Wasn't sure what I was supposed to do in that situation. Did, did anyone around you intervene? Were your parents like, do this? No, I just was too embarrassed to kind of like draw attention to it. Uh, oh. And it, 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 let it, it let go eventually. Um, no harm, no foul. Just uh, uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable having a crab in my armpit. Did the crab have a name? Did it? I think it was just called Crab. <laughs> Because it, it's the kind of extraordinary pet where you don't necessarily have to name it. Like it's crab. the only hermit crab in the neighborhood yeah. or whatever. So it's, it's just crab. crab you know? Yeah, it's just crab. Yeah, my crab. <laughs> yeah. No, it was the only crab we had uh, in the family. So, yeah, not not so difficult to uh, wow. call it out. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I like crabs. I appreciate crabs. I like the whole concept of crab shape uh, repeatedly evolving in nature among different arthropods, which is fun. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stories about crabs. I'm I'm just excited. I'm here for it. Yeah, and a whole bunch of people suggested this on the Discord. There was a real movement in the polls for crabs, and it has uh, been really fun to research. I am more into them now and was not quite anti them. I just noticed an anti-crab in myself, you know, when I got going. And it's, it's mostly resolved. You got to work on that. Do better. (laughs) Crabs. On every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. This week, that's in a segment called There Ain't Nothing Short of Figures and some facts to round them out when it comes to learning something. Stats and numbers coming down. Nice. That was a good one. Thank you. 
Uh, that, that was from Doc underscore Lobster on the Discord. So a fellow Doc crustacean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Please submit a new name for this segment every week. They're silly and wacky and bad. Submit through Discord or to sippod at gmail.com. The, the first number this week is nearly 7,000. Crabs. <laughs> it's just fun to say that word, huh? Crabs, That's just crabs, a good exclamation. Crabs, crabs, crabs. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm gonna go around town like, and a crabs to you, and a crabs to you. Crabs, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that I'm gonna guess that there's nearly seven thousand species of true crabs. Yeah, that's the the number. That's that one estimate, and it's a pretty rough estimate because it yeah. turns out the world is just full of all kinds of new crab species that we yeah. discover all the time. Lots of new crabs. I mean, some things like it's also crustaceans that are kind of like re-evolving into crab shapes or or parallel evolution of multiple crab-shaped crustaceans. Some of them are actually not like true crabs because they started out as a type of crustacean that's actually maybe more closely related to lobsters or crayfish or something, but then they mm. make get turned into crab because apparently the crab shape is just very good, a very good shape. And you see that in other species as well, like other arthropods, even spiders, just like crab shape is very good. And so I'm not surprised that there are so many species of crabs. Yeah. And that leads us into, I think, something a lot of people are excited about. And then there's more to it, which is a quick takeaway number one. Many arthropod species separately evolved to match a crab's shape. Mm -hmm. And then many crab species separately evolved to walk on land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The scuttle is such a powerful weapon in the evolutionary arsenal that everyone's doing <laughs> it. Everyone's scuttling. Yeah. Like worldwide, it is very common among a lot of species. And then I think I heard a meme version of this initial thing about crab evolution that is a little bit more extreme than what it is because the the term is carcinization mm -hmm. and that means evolving or changing into the shape of a crab the meme i had heard is that like all life is going that way no and it turns out it's mostly arthropods it's it's mostly no, yeah, some it's... things that are a little crabby already <laughs> It's fun to joke about that, like we're all turning into crabs, but it is it is arthropods. Yeah. I would welcome the opportunity to evolve into more of a crab-like shape. That would be fun to kind of Zoidberg it up. But yes, arthropods <laughs> are the ones. Uh, and arthropods are animals from crustaceans to scorpions, spiders, insects. Those are all, those are all arthropods. Yeah, I, I hadn't realized the family is so big. Is big, scuttly things, creepy crawly stuff. Yeah, a lot of stuff with exoskeletons, and mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of other species are very closely related to crabs, like scorpions and spiders, and in particular, an animal we call the horseshoe crab. Yes, is kind of considered almost more of an arachnid evolutionarily, yes. but it, it looks crabby and it lives in water. And it's like the in terms of like the crab shape, there's both convergent and parallel evolution. Convergent evolution is when you have two ancestors who did not have the same trait and then you each like independently evolved it and now you both have the trait so you're converging on this trait whereas parallel evolution is where you know your ancestors shared that trait but you're both in parallel with each other retaining this shape so like it's a lot of conversion uh. evolution with like the crab shape where it's like maybe their ancestors didn't really have 
they didn't both have the same like crab shape, but then they ended up like coinciding upon the crab shape. Yeah. Both those processes are so amazing because it, it's, I know it's over millions of years and it, it, it takes a very, very, very long time beyond any of our lifetimes, but it also just feels fast when you read about it in a book. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, they just all did it together. They all met up at the train station just in time, you know? like <laughs> They all sort of like decided it's Wednesday, it's be a crab day. Wednesdays yeah, right. were crabs day. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it, it is a typically very long process evolution. And so it's interesting to see certain patterns where you have similar shapes or s sort of like some kind of thing that keeps happening, like basically crab shape. But when we say crab shape, right, we're talking kind of like having bilateral symmetry of, uh, you know, these two sides, and then it's sort of in an oval kind of shape and side to side movement, a set of arms in front with like pincers like that is that is essentially the crab shape, right? Yeah. And there's numbers within this takeaway, too. It turns out another key crab number is 10. And not everything has gone this way, but crabs tend to have exactly 10 legs in mm -hmm. five pairs, which I never noticed or thought about. But they tend to have a front two legs with pincers on it and then the other eight legs for walking or standing. Those legs also tend to shuffle side to side because the leg joints are just a simple hinge pointing sideways. Right. So kind of like we move the fastest going forward because our knees point forward, their knees point to the side, so they move to the side. Imagine if we could rotate our legs such that we could point our knees to the side and then just start walking sideways. That'd be neat. I feel, I feel like I've seen dance crews do that specifically, but otherwise I, the rest of us aren't, aren't out here doing that. I would break <laughs> several things if I tried that, but yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's, so that is the general thing where the, the. Eight legs are used for walking and two legs are used for pinching. But like there uh. are some crabs that also use some of their walking legs for other things. I mean, like aquatic crabs, a lot of them like they, they swim, they can swim, you know, decently. Uh, there's some crabs that have uh, adapted their legs for actually certain decorator crabs that the, uh, they have a pair of legs not for walking or swimming but just holding stuff uh on their bodies like a little hat made out of uh <laughs> algae and just or sponge oh. and like holding it onto them so yeah they, they they there's a lot of cool things that crabs use their legs for and they're delicious right like it's such a central part of a crab too many humans they're like oh it's crab fasting i go get those crab legs and then yeah. it's also almost kind of the most distinctive trait of them like some of the sources i was looking at called these animals decapods mm -hmm. decapod means 10 legs deca is 10 and so it's it's a really important trait even though i never counted it ever yeah like I said, the scuttling is the defining characteristic of the crab because otherwise it's just a little oval, a little disc. But it's those little legs and the little pinchers, the, the little pincers, the pin pinchy claws yeah. that make it crab-like. Yeah, and, and like you said, these legs that they stand on can vary in purpose. And then the many species that we call hermit crabs tend to have a much shorter rear four legs because those are strong short legs for holding the discarded shell onto the back of their body. And right. 
yeah, these vary, but also match up. And then with the evolution, the meme is mostly true, right? Like arthropods are doing this amazing thing where many of them converge or in or in a parallel way move toward a crab shape. They carcinize. A lot of this meme comes from one project by researchers at Harvard University and Florida International University who think that five separate groups of decapods all evolved toward crab shapes from different starting points, which is amazing and a whole thing. Right. I mean, even like hermit crabs are not quote unquote true crabs. They're from a separate evolutionary lineage yeah. from like the quote unquote true crabs. And we call them hermit crabs because they're they look like little crabs, right? Like, I mean, they do have stuff attached to their butts, but still like they're they're so crab like that it makes sense that we also call them crabs, but they come from a separate they're all they're all crustaceans, right? Like they are in the same order, but still it's a very interesting that something that is a very classic kind of crab, the hermit crab, is not like technically a quote unquote true crab. Yeah, that was that was so surprising about the taxonomy. Like there, there's arthropods and then under that is crustaceans. And then it turns out there are a bunch of different specific infraorders of things that are true crabs or false crabs and a bunch of stuff like king crabs are false crabs, even though they mm-hmm. extremely look like crabs and are eaten and listed on menus as crabs. And like there's a, a marine biologist somewhere who will be like, these aren't crabs at Crab Fest. Too bad. Gatekeeping, crab gatekeeping. I do love I do love the idea of false crabs where it's like they're just wearing little fake mustaches. It's like, you're not a crab at all. You're a squat lobster. Right. Like it's a giraffe trying to hide out in a tidal pool. Like, I'll just be in a crab. <laughs> clap, clap, clap. <laughs> what crimes is that giraffe committed that it is trying to <laughs> evade the law? <laughs> Yeah, and this this key project that has helped the internet get excited about carcinization, some of the people on that team did a further news study that came out recently, November 2023, that I kind of find more interesting. But they, they did this study looking at fossil records and crab DNA to explore more crab evolution. And they think there are 17 different crab species who initially only lived in water and then surprisingly recently evolved to also walk on land. By recently, by recently, what do you mean? Like what time scale? Uh, within the last 100 million years. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so like yesterday, basically. Yeah, right? essentially, like, evolutionarily, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like as we're taping, probably, uh, getting out <laughs> the water. Uh, <laughs> Just like, like a little crab testing a little toe. They don't really have toes, but testing a little... Like, saying like, eh, is it dry? Do I like dry? I don't know if I like dry. Yeah, like uh, apparently the name for that thing that I I think of as a cartoon fish walking on land, uh, the name for that is terrestrialization. Terrestrialization. Yeah, and apparently most species that have done that at all did that more than 300 million years ago. And so these crab species doing it within the last 100 million years that suggests that maybe we can learn more about terrestrialization from them because it's an interesting and different timeline. Take a little microphone and say, like, why did you decide to come on land? <laughs> some crabs spend some time under the water and some time, like, on land. Some are, like, almost completely on land now. Uh, there are some that, like, come on land but then stay mostly, like, on the shoreline and then, like, 
they like to bury themselves in the sand and it's super cute wet sandy hut uh so there's all sorts of i know it's so cute there and some that like will live on land but then like go back to the the ocean to reproduce like christmas island crabs do this kind of migration where they're on land and they live sort of in like uh moist forest floors most of the time but then they do this mass migration out to the sea to uh reproduce and then all these babies once they hatch do another mass migration back onto land so it's very it's very cool that there's all sorts of different types of land living for crabs and yeah and that's part of why the study is so interesting it's it's exactly like you say a lot of them still have some particular relationship to water and then apparently of those 17 species that terrestrialized a few of them returned to living exclusively in water Mm -hmm. This was a a fad or a phase. And then they said, that was all right, but there's not that much food up here and I like it underwater and I'm out. Thought I'd like the dry. I didn't like the dry. It was too dry. They're not wrong. Pretty dry up here. That's how I feel. Uh (laughs) Using a lot of uh, jergens. (laughs) Did anyone tell the crabs about jergens? Then they might have stayed. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, in a, in a more, it's sort of a more short evolutionary timescale of like what happened with cetaceans, like whales, like, you know, they are mammals, terrestrial yeah. mammals. And then they're like, eh, it's too dry. Going back. We're going back. And uh, they did slowly <laughs> evolve in back into uh, aquatic creatures. Although, you know, they are still mammals. They still got to be there and all their adaptations, uh, they still retained all these mammalian traits, but now they are, you know, fully swimming in the ocean, like dolphins, orcas, baleen whales. They all came from a common ancestor. Yeah, and it's it's so wild that studying that process into in cetaceans could tell us about the process in crabs or the other way around, and and with all sorts of other species that were in or out of water at some point, yeah. hundreds of millions of years ago. It's uh, you just don't think of them relating at all, but that's one way. I imagine like sort of the personification of evolution, getting frustrated when animals can't decide whether they want to go in or out of the water. Like you just came, you just came out of the water. You want to come back in? Just like we're a bunch of cats. (laughs) Crabs like to do both sometimes. Yeah. That brings us kind of back into more numbers because as much as there's carcinization toward crab shape in many species, then there's this astounding blossoming of all sorts of different crab species and nearly 7,000 of them approximately in the world. And we just keep finding them all the time. (laughs) One source this week is the book Walking Sideways, The Remarkable World of Crabs. That's by Judith S. Weiss, professor of biology at Rutgers University, Newark. Uh, She says there was one project where a global network of researchers did expeditions across 10 years to try to create what they call the census of marine life. They finished in 2010 and they turned up 65 new species of just crabs within all their other discoveries and things. There's also a 2011 survey by a Smithsonian team. They looked at seven sections of dead coral in a few oceans. And in just those bits of coral, they found 168 new species of crabs. They're not even really trying to find that. It's yeah. just It's just around. They get everywhere. There's this thing that has always fascinated me, which is there is this tiny species of crab that lives in the bromeliad, which is a type of uh, flowering plant in uh, Jamaica. 
they they live on trees and they're just sort of this cool. like it's this leafy flowering plant but then what happens is because it kind of forms this basin in the plant it collects water uh and so something like this tiny crab can actually live in the bromeliad there are other species that sometimes live in these like like frogs but like uh, it is really incredible that like a crab can be like, yeah, I'll live in this wet flower in Jamaica. Why not? I, I love that, man. And apparently that's not the only crab sort of doing that kind of thing. There, There's also a new species discovered 2017 in the forests of South India in the Western Ghats mountain range. And it's a species that lives in the hollows of trees that fill with water and heavy rainfall. Oh, amazing. Like, they just found pockets of water. I haven't even heard of that one. I'm a huge crab fan, and I'm I'm still learning about crabs because there's too many crabs. There are. It's like there, so it's cute. a bonkers amount of diversity, even though I just think of the one red one at crab restaurants. Like, there's so many. <laughs> the one red one. Mr. Mr. Crabs is the only crab I know. Right. Uh, no, but that's so it's so cute. They're just like, I'm going to live in a twee and just like inside yeah. a tree that, where there's water inside it. It's like crabs are sort of the crustacean version of frogs where it's just they they love they love being places that are cute. <laughs> cute and like moist, like frogs. Cute They're and like, moist. Yes. If it's moist here, <laughs> I can crab it up. I can do it. Yes. So cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that Indian one, it's got scientific name Kani Maranjandu and no common name yet. The first word is Kani because this was first observed by the Kani native people of that part of South India. And then like other university scientists came around later based on their yeah. observations. Always important to listen to local observations, especially when it comes to crabs. Yeah so many of these little guys and they're they're very diverse too like even though they all kind of tend to have that basic crab shape which defines them they all have such different adaptations and different behaviors yeah and and the other maybe biggest variety is the size because mm -hmm. even if they're all kind of a similar shape the the number here for the smallest crab is the pea crab species oh. pea like a vegetable <laughs> pea and crab. the whole body is about one third of an inch wide, less than 0 0.85 centimeters. Uh, yeah. And we'll have a picture of it just on somebody's like fingertip. It's very small. <laughs> I know one of you wise out, smart Alex out there uh, is going to say like, isn't the smallest species of crab, uh, you know, crabs like the. Uh, uh, oh, like the lice you get. Like the lice from, you uh, get. Hooking up with people. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, that's an interesting observation because those are not crabs obviously but they yeah. are arthropods right and as we mentioned earlier arthropods do often evolve this kind of crab shape even if they're not crabs as in the true crabs in the crustacean subphylum but like it, it is uh <laughs> it is kind of funny because like yeah they're they're a type of parasitic arthropod uh, the the se sexually transmitted crabs um but they are um not really crabs but they kind of look a little bit like tiny, gross crabs. Right. That's such an interesting thing to clarify because it's not totally just a weird thing sex people are saying, you know? like It's, it's sort of like how <laughs> scorpions and lobsters do look similar, right? Like, well, yeah, they're both arthropods. They are related. 
Um, they, they evolve similar traits. They come from a similar ancestor and they evolve similar traits. Yeah. The world of arthropods, man. It's so varied. We did the small crab number. Here's the big crab number. The world's largest crab is the Japanese spider crab. Mm -hmm. And just the carapace is more than one foot wide. The full leg span is up to 12 feet. Wow. So more than three and a half meters. It can give you a hug like twice, wrap its arms around you like uh, <laughs> all the way twice, which I, I don't love. I I, right. I I tolerate crabs very well. I like them. But when it's like when its legs are like twice as tall as I am, that's upsetting. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't need it in my house or whatever. Yeah. That's cool. But, you know, is there a prize for the most swole crab, which I think is like the coconut crab, just the chunkiest, toughest, beefiest crab? It's not technically the biggest, but I think that giant, the giant uh, Japanese crab is like kind of spindly, but like the coconut crab is just like muscular. Exactly correct. Yeah. Beefiest crab. Yeah. The next number is that the coconut crab, which is a species of land crab, it's large and strong enough to live, lift 60 pounds of weight. Uh, and it, it doesn't always eat coconuts, but that's the name origin is it'll like bust open a coconut with its might. Yeah. It's got a lot of PSIs uh, with its uh, claw strength. Yeah. More than 27 kilograms it can lift. 60 pounds. So that's incredible. Huge. Yeah. It's a crab. A big, you know? scary, beefy crab. And also speaking of food, I, I had wondered what a soft shell crab is. Because I've heard mm-hmm. of that from food. I'm linking Food and Wine magazine about it. They say that that's just kind of a different stage of a regular crab's life. Because mm-hmm. arthropods have an exoskeleton, both for protection and to kind of hold their bodies together. And they will molt that usually each year. It depends on the species. And so a softshell crab is just a crab that we captured before it regrew its exoskeleton. Uh, so we could eat it in that particular state of being. When it's like, no, I'm naked. No, I'm naked. Yeah. It's kind of and rude. we're like, exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's pretty rude. That's kind yeah. of rude and kind of perverted for us to bust in on a crab as it's changing outfits. And <laughs> it's like covering its little crab body with its claws and going like, don't look at me. I'm naked. And they can't find a robe for themselves. You can't get no. a robe if you're a crab. They don't make that. Another amazing number about eating crabs is 90,000 years ago. Nine zero, ninety thousand years ago. That's how long ago we think there's evidence of Neanderthals eating crabs. What's the evidence? Like a, like an old sort of like bib, a prehistoric bib <laughs> with a crab on it. <laughs> Just crab fests carved into some kind of stone and Flintstones <laughs> font. Yeah, this is this is a Spanish university study from 2023. They found shell pieces from the brown crab species in caves in what's now Portugal. Mm. And it might be the oldest evidence of humans eating shellfish. It goes back a long way. Nice. And, and I guess it's stretching it even calling Neanderthals humans. Like this is a very, very old practice for species like us. Yeah, there are cousins and we do have some Neanderthal DNA because there was a little bit of hanky-panky between our, like, you know, Homo sapiens mm-hmm. and Neanderthals. So, you know, they're not they're not like our ancestors in the sense of, like, humans did not evolve from Neanderthals, but we were, we coexisted at a point and we were evolutionary cousins. 
we've got some Neanderthal DNA. Good for us. And good, good yeah. for us. And, and good for them. Our cousins yeah. ate them and we probably ate them too. Yeah. This topic is global. Crabs are in all of the world's oceans. They're also in freshwater, also in brackish water. And then there are land species. And so we just think that all early human communities ate crabs if that was convenient. Like they weren't going long distances to do it, but it's an easier and safer source of protein to hunt than many other animals. And so anybody living near a place where crabs live probably ate them. Yeah. It's just, they're so pinchy. I wonder like at what point did we get beyond the pinch and the spindliness and realize that there was meat in them bones? Yeah. Possibly 90,000 years ago or more. Like good for us. That's that's kind of a, I feel (laughs) like that's a big insight if you don't know anything yet. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty good leap. That's pretty good work. I wonder if we just (laughs) ate them raw or if we cooked them. Probably started off eating them raw, but ugh. Right, like just grabbing it like it's a weird bagel. Like, ow, just, you know? Yeah. uh, yeah. (laughs) Like, this bagel keeps pinching my face. (laughs) The world's first brioche. (laughs) And then one more number for the numbers section, jumping much closer to our time. It's the year 1956. 1956 is when an American medical researcher discovered that Horseshoe crab blood contains a useful component for testing drugs and vaccines. It's also an eerie shade of blue, which is interesting. And it's blue. It's blue. Yeah, no, we have horseshoe crabs to thank for a lot of our vaccine production. Yeah, it turns out. And we just kind of didn't have that help before. There was an American medical researcher named Frederick Bang He discovered that horseshoe crab blood has amoebocytes. If a drug or vaccine has been contaminated with a kind of bacteria called an endotoxin, the amoebocytes in horseshoe crab blood will react to that and form solid masses and make it obvious to us that that contaminant's there. Yeah. And the US FDA approved using that in 1977. Europe approved a synthetic version in 2016, but the US hasn't. And For several decades, we've been using many, many gallons of harvested horseshoe crab blood to test all kinds of drugs and vaccines, and it was a key part of COVID vaccines. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where they actually don't have to kill the horseshoe crabs to get the blood. They can harvest the blood from the crabs. The problem is if you harvest blood from a crab, a a horseshoe crab, and then release it, it actually does... Uh, impact its uh, chance of survival and chance of reproduction. You know, yeah. I mean, imagine if a like a, if a Dracula just sucked a bunch of your blood, you're not immediately going to have the energy to go out and hook up or take care of yourself. <laughs> you might just like keel over and <laughs> and die. But, uh, you know, so so it is it is I think it is um, a good thing to switch to a synthetic version as long as it's doing the same job as the as the horseshoe crab blood. But yeah, it's, I mean, until we do that, it is very important to make vaccines really safe to check for any kind of impurities. Yeah. And there's, especially on the East coast of the U.S., a lot of capture of horseshoe crabs, draining of their blood. And early in this process, we thought it was totally fine. Like they thought only about 3% of them proceeded to die from this experience. And further studies said it's more like 30%. 
Yeah. So so conservation groups are now trying to kind of push for a more sustainable approach to this. And we'll yeah. see if technology can replace it. But we'll link National Geographic. They have a picture of a facility where a row of horseshoe crabs are having blood removed into these like containers of blue blood. It's pretty dystopian if you sympathize with the horseshoe crabs. Yeah, it's very the other side of the matrix. Uh, so <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, well, <laughs> maybe we should call them crab scenes instead of vaccines. <laughs> Did you actually like vaccine comes from the word uh, cow, uh, vaca, oh. uh, because of how like you know the the um, early development of uh, vaccines through uh, the cowpox uh, virus inoculating people against small smallpox. That's so cool. Wow. In Italian, the word for cow and vaccine is the same thing, vaccino. Good for good for Italian making it really clear, right? Yeah. Don't don't lose track of that heritage. But it is confusing sometimes cuz like I'm here for my flu vaccine and then they just give me a sick cow. Right. And then you have to walk at home. You have to find a bell. Uh, always yeah. need a bell per cow, yeah. you know? Jeez. Yeah. The amount of tissues a sick cow goes through is a lot. <laughs> there's there's a couple more takeaways for this main episode. And the next one is takeaway number two. Many hermit crabs choose to turn human trash into homes, especially plastic trash. Yeah, this is both sad and cute. Scoot, scoot, scad. So cute. It's scad. I'm feeling scad right now. Yeah, maybe the cow wasn't sick. It was just scad, you know? Maybe it's just emotional. The <laughs> tissues are for feelings. Verklempt. Yeah. <laughs> and the pictures here are astounding. They truly are scad. Yes. I think the one thing most of us know about hermit crabs, even if we haven't owned them like Katie has, is that they live in a shell or another aquatic thing that they find. And more and more we are discovering, especially thanks to like better cameras and the internet, that a lot of hermit crabs are making the best of human junk as something to put on their bodies. Yeah, I mean, part of it is uh, if there's a lot of litter, they're going to use what's around and part of it is if it's harder to find shells, right? Like maybe because of trawling or other uh, sort of issues where there are fewer fewer shells for them to use, they're going to resort to using litter. Yeah. Hermit crabs really are the progenitors of if it fits, I sit. Like they, as they grow, <laughs> they don't grow their own shells. So as they grow, they have to replace the shell. And so they climb out of their old shell and then find one that is of the right size. And they can be fairly picky about it, right? Like it can't be too big and it can't be too small. Sometimes there are these chains of crabs where one crab is moving out of its shell. And so like it goes a size up, but then uh, there's like a chain of crabs basically swapping shells. Like a big one is going into a bigger shell. So a smaller one is going into the old shell. And so you just have this lineup of crabs all exchanging shells but like yeah no in this case they they are using bottle caps broken light bulbs uh a lot of creative sort of things that are vaguely shell-shaped uh probably not as good in terms of uh actually protecting them though just imagining a crab realtor for like finding apartments uh it's uh, yeah. <laughs> uh really lingering in my head now because yeah, yeah. They, they're just making these trades all the time 
apparently they trade every about 12 to 18 months. They'll switch shells or other items. Even they outgrow, Either they outgrow it or it's damaged or maybe they think there's a more advantageous shell than what they've got. Yeah. Another problem with like these sort of like, even though it's extremely cute to see a hermit crab using a bottle cap as a shell, um, even though that in particular doesn't necessarily hurt the crab, there are cases where there's a lot of litter and so you'll have one hermit crab go inside of, like, say, a glass or a plastic bottle uh, because they're checking it out to see if this is, like, a new home. But then they kind of keep crawling in it, and then they go into the bottle, but the sides are slippery, so it can't get out, and then it dies. And oh, no. there's this thing that happens when a hermit crab dies is there is a chemical uh, produced during its decomposition that actually signals to other hermit crabs that a hermit crab died. And so other hermit crabs come to the dead hermit crab to potentially take its uh, old shell, right? Like, well, you're dead. You're not using your shell anymore. I might as well take it if I can smell that you're dead over here. And so you have this like cycle of death of hermit crabs that keep crawling into like these plastic or glass uh, containers because they smell the other dead crabs. And it's like free house. Oh no, free house. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> so then you th- they'll just find these jugs of like dead crabs. It's very morbid and sad. I know it. Pr- it probably doesn't fit like the scientific meaning of the word social, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's a whole community activity kind of thing, right? Like that's right. so strange to think about it's wow. both yeah because like they can sometimes compete for shells and stuff but sometimes it's more cooperative like i said like the shell exchange where it's like well if you see a big crab getting out of its old shell but you're a little smaller than that one then maybe you take its its shell and, and you shed yours and then maybe a smaller crab takes your old shell right like so yeah in some sense it yeah. is kind of an interesting sort of social exchange and and the need for a home at all is just so weird, too. Hermit crabs basically have two kinds of exoskeleton. Their front half is a hard and tough shell, and then their back half is much softer, designed to flex and accommodate being placed in a container. They're, they're built to be seeking out these homes. Mm-hmm. And then because of human refuse, there's more and more useful stuff from people. They don't just have to use the shells of snails or... Natural items like tree nuts. There are apparently hermit crabs near Okinawa that use tree nuts from that island. But more and more crabs are using especially bottle caps, also the metal bottoms of light bulbs. Kind of reminds me of like uh, octopus behavior. There are these coconut octopuses who use coconut shells as like temporary shells that they'll carry around with them as protection octopuses and squid and stuff they they actually have ancestors that had shells uh they're related to nautiluses who have shells um and like their ancestors used to have sort of like a hard um shell but then they evolved to not uh have a shell so that they could squeeze into tight places uh both in terms of hiding but also in terms of hunting so then like some species of octopus have gone sort of hermit crab style where they like take things like shells or coconuts and then use them to sort of protect their soft bodies while still being able to have sort of the flexibility of having a soft body. Although with with hermit crabs, it seems like really it's about the superior protection of the shell versus what they could achieve through their hard exoskeleton. Because like that vulnerable period of a crab's life where they're soft-shelled because they are going through shedding 
their exoskeleton now they have like a thing like a shell that permanently protects them even if they are at a stage where they're vulnerable and shedding their exoskeleton yeah they they get to kind of make so many choices they're not yeah. just the on the biological cycle that's cool it's very cool we also know more about this than ever before thanks to the internet there's a, a new polish university study that was published february 2024 very recently, and they did not send a team out to see. They indexed images in scientific journals as well as image uploads to Flickr.com, Google Images, iNaturalist, Alamy stock photos, and YouTube thumbnails. And based on that data set, they think plastic is far and away the favorite trash for hermit crabs. Hmm. They estimate of all trash shells for crabs, about 85% are plastic compared to just 5% metal, 5% glass, and 5% mixed materials. Is that just because there's more abundance of plastic, or are they specifically choosing the plastic? They think it might be both, yeah, because there is so much plastic in the ocean. It's, it's a really abundant form of trash. And then also hermit crabs might even prefer plastic in some cases because it's more durable than some shells and also mm. lighter weight than some shells at the same time. We need a crab focus group. We need to really see what uh, what products these crabs prefer. You know, that that's the other weird thing about the name hermit crab. These crabs clearly hang out all of the time. And mm. we call them hermit crabs like they're some loner in the woods, you know? <laughs> uh, they, they definitely seem like they'd be down for a focus group. You yeah. Know? Just like, like one coffee and donuts in the corner, they're there. Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of them's trying to see if they fit inside the donut. <laughs> yeah, and then the one other thing is we think some hermit crab species, uh, the the shell or whatever they pick up might be involved in sexual signaling and being more attractive to other hermit crabs. And so with plastic being brightly colored or interesting shapes, maybe there's something there. It's so weird how like humans have shaped animals' evolution in such indirect ways sometimes. Yeah, like they, they didn't plan on any of this. And it's yeah. that plastic trash in the ocean is from the last hundred years. It's it's yeah. so recent that they're dealing with this now. It's like how bower birds, which are these like uh, birds that create these elaborate displays, usually use like berries and flowers. But now with like human trash around, sometimes they'll like pick up some brightly colored human trash and carry it over and use it as part of their mating displays to attract females. Yeah. Yeah. I am glad they're making the best of that, and we should do better, and they're making the best of it. <laughs> and we we have one more huge takeaway for this main episode. We'll come to it after a short break and get into some really, really weird human crab stuff. Mm. Human crab. Human crab. <laughs> it sounded like a hybrid being of created. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> we are the human crab people. <laughs> we demand little pieces of of white stuff that floats in the ocean to eat. <laughs> Put it on one side of me, not in front of me, not in front of me. That's more annoying <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. And we are back with one last giant takeaway for the main episode, because takeaway number three... The names for crabs and for medical cancers come from ancient Greece and from the mythology equivalent of a video game grunt. (laughs) What? Uh, I didn't comprehend that. Yeah, and uh, grunt is like the lowest level, easiest enemy to beat in a video game. Like, you just Mm -hmm. knock them out easily. Uh, One more time, that's the name for crabs and for medical cancers comes from ancient Greece and from the mythology equivalent of a video game grunt. Right. This gets into the word cancer being... You know, like a zodiac sign that's a crab and and the yeah. connection between the word crab and the word cancer and, and all that uh, lore about it. Yeah, like carcinization being like becoming more crab-like and carcinogenic, meaning causing cancer, both being very similar words as well. Yeah, and I had always wondered what's going on there. Why are crabs <laughs> and cancer? Yeah, cancer. Yeah, the zodiac sign is what got me because it's like, wait. Can't you can have cancer as your zodiac sign? That's that's morbid, but no, yeah. it's like a cute little crab. Yeah, I remember learning that Greek zodiac and thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not in that month, even though it's fine, it's totally <laughs> fine. But like the vibes are right off, you know. But it turns out there's a reason why. <laughs> yeah, cancer was named after that, not the other way around. Exactly, yeah. And there's key sources here are a piece for space.com by Rebecca Sohn. Uh, the NPR show Science Friday, hosted by Ira Flato, interviewing medical historian Howard Markle, and then digital resources from Tufts University and from the NASA Chandra X-ray Observatory. Crabs are called crabs in English because of words in the ancient Greek language with roots in mythology. And the big myth here is the 12 labors of Hercules. This was a, a whole story cycle in Greek mythology about Hercules doing 12 seemingly impossible things. Like, scuttling like a crab was one of them. Like, do it. It's just the gods being mean. Like, now cluck like a chicken. (laughs) Yeah, so Hercules basically has to do these labors because of his parentage. Uh, Hercules was the son of the god Zeus, uh, who hooked up with a human woman. And Zeus did this constantly, and this upset his wife, the goddess Hera. She -hmm. was like, that stinks. And also, I kind of resent all of the children from these situations. Yeah, she she always got her anger out on like either the woman or the the children uh, in the affair, which I think is not cool, Hera, because like 
I think the common denominator is your husband right. is a bit of a floozy. I don't, yeah. And this this story starts very dark because what happens is Harris says, I just don't like Hercules. So I'm going to make him lose his mind and kill his wife and children mm-hmm. and then snap out of it and feel horrible and sad. Yeah. Like that's that's it's one of these really brutal Greek myths. Just like the gods making your lives miserable. And the lesson is sometimes this happens and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> right. It's it's astonishingly dark. Right. You can see how other faiths rolled in like the Christians. And it's like, that's more positive. I'm in. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So so then Hercules says, I feel horrible. He asks the Oracle of Delphi how he can atone. And they say, if you do these 12 labors, you'll feel better. Um, <laughs> and then so then it's this whole cycle of stories where he's doing these challenges. There are some sympathetic gods helping him and then still opposition from some antagonistic gods like Hera. One labor is to battle the Hydra, mm. which is a huge monster, I think pretty famous. Mm-hmm. And you like cut off a head and it grows more heads. Is that sort of the idea? Yeah. And so the main story is that Hercules attacks this Hydra and then he needs a friend to like burn and cauterize the head stumps in order for him to cut off the heads and then kill it. And so within that incredibly exciting battle story, Hera says, I'm going to make it harder. And so this character doesn't even get credited as a labor or anything, but she sends in a crab. <laughs> She's like, go attack Hercules and distract him from the Hydra mid-fight. Uh, do I like, do I like pinch him? You want me to, <laughs> you want me to pinch him? That would be a good voice for this character because yeah. this is the origin of like cancer in the Zodiac and everything. She sends in a crab uh, and the Greeks called him Carkinos. Then that got like Latinized and Anglicized and eventually became cancer. But mm-hmm. Carquinos is a crab sent by Hera to attack Hercules in the middle of the Hydra fight. And the crab bites him on the foot and then he immediately just squishes it and moves on. That's how that's all the crab could do. <laughs> okay, I'm <laughs> just it. I'm just gonna pinch you, big fella. All right, I pinched you. Why are you looking at me like that? I just pinched you. Yeah. She told me you gotta pinch you. It's a really pathetic kind of thing. It's just a crab that pinches him. That's it? A normal-sized crab? Yeah, like, in the story, it doesn't even seem to be very big. Just a normal-sized crab. Like, it's not bigger than especially the larger species of real crabs. You know? (laughs) It's just a crab. And then then what happens is, after the in the aftermath of this bigger battle, Hera feels bad. And says, I'm sorry, I really pointlessly sent you in there, Karkinos. I'm going to lift you up into the stars and you'll be part of the Zodiac. Apologies for wasting your life on a really bad strategy on my part. Bad, bad move. Yeah, no, it's no sweat. You know, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, can I pinch people in when I'm made out of stars? Is that something I can do? Because I'm really good at pinching. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> Just pinching like Capricorn. Capricorn's like, what are you doing? Hey. Pinch. <laughs> Is that a supernova? I have pinched Scorpio. <laughs> wow, I guess there's multiple arthropods in the Zodiac. I hadn't thought about that. There anyway. is. <laughs> a big arthropod scene. I'm a Scorpio. I've done nothing to ever learn about what that's supposed to mean. Um, it's just cool because I like scorpions. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm I'm an Aries. A ram is cool, you know? Great. Yeah, you know? Into it. Cool. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I hope that's exciting for people who are astrologically cancers. It's this specific story of a crab. But then how did, uh, how did it go from meaning like um, this guy that gets squished by uh, Zeus into like the disease cancer? Because like I would think like cancer would be called Hydra, right? Because like that feels more cancerous where you're chopping off heads and it keeps regrowing. Yeah. So why did, why did little crabby dude, uh, why does he get the rap for cancer? Perfect question. And it turns out Greek medical science comes in here. Mm. Because not only is Karkinos called this in the myth, that's also a relatively general Greek language word for a crab. Uh, So it wasn't a creative name. (laughs) And what happens is maybe the most famous Greek doctor comes along, a guy called Hippocrates. Hippocrates. Yeah, he's the guy from the Hippocratic Oath sworn by doctors today. And Hippocrates, he lived around the year 400 BC. He's examining people with tumors, which we don't really understand yet. But he, for some reason, applied the name Carquinos to the tumors. Hmm. That crab name and crab character name. He says, I'm calling these Carquinos, too. Why? We have theories. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, and this a weird guy. Is- <laughs> Like all the theories are different synonyms for kooky, crazy, wacky. Like that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> but so, according to his medical historian Howard Markle, it could be because the tumors often felt hard to the touch, sort of mm. like the hard mm-hmm. shell of a crab. Uh, it also could be a little metaphorical related to crabs having pincers, so the mm. pain of a tumor attacking mm. us. Uh, another guess is that tumors are stubborn and hard to remove. Oh, like the crab in my armpit. That's the the story I think about now, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. I guess I'd rather a hermit crab than a tumor. Check your lymph nodes every once in a while, people, because you got them in your armpits, actually. Maybe the crab was checking, and it was like, give me a couple hours. I'll make sure it feels okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It feels okay. (laughs) Thanks, Pinchy. Maybe that was his name, Pinchy. (laughs) Back then, too, people maybe had an experience of a crab latching onto them with a pincer for a while. And so that could be where Hippocrates got this. Whatever the reason, he sparked a trend. Mm. And the next physician here is a Greek person, but in like the Greek province of the Roman Empire. Uh, More than 400 years later, a guy named Celsus, he writes a medical encyclopedia where he names tumors cancer, Mm. which is the Latinization and eventually Anglicization of Carquinos. I feel like it's not fair to, because crabs are cute and they taste good and they do cool things, um, whereas cancer is just pretty awful. I feel like we could have chosen a more annoying animal uh, to name cancer after. Yeah, there there is like one more step that seems to cinch it because, of course, we could have moved on from this weird Greek language and mythology connection. Mm -hmm. But from there, after Celsus and after Hippocrates, there's another Roman doctor named Galen, who's also famous in medical history. He took an actual look at a tumor, like a deceased person's breast tumor. They opened them up and looked at it. And he sees a network of veins leading out of the mass and decides that the way those kind of fan out looks like the legs of a crab pattern. Hmm. Interesting. And so he says, 
based on that and the many Greek and Roman doctors before me referencing crabs, let's stick to that. Like, that's a good reason to call it this thing. The other thing Howard Markle points out is that we, in one way, have gone a different way linguistically because the doctors specializing in cancers are not called cancerologists or cancer attricians. They're called oncologists, right? Yeah, they're called oncologists, which is from a different Greek root. It turns out the Greek word onkos means masses. Oh, okay. And that, that might be kind of even a more accurate word. Like, like uh, yeah. there are many different diseases called cancer. It can be more of a mass than necessarily a tumor, especially if it's benign. And so we did find a not crab way to describe this, but we are kind of sticking with the crab way in most cases. Yeah, really hard to get rid of that crab. So we this this character stuck around in, in the Zodiac and in disease. We, from Greece to the rest of the world, have promoted an idea that somehow crabs are involved with this family of human diseases. All because Hera was like, I'm going to throw a crab named Crab at you, Hercules. <laughs> right, like it was so underpowered as an enemy, it didn't even really have an interesting name. <laughs> yeah, I choose you, Crab. It's just... Against a demigod. I mean, like, is she even trying at that point? It is less interestingly named than the Pokemons that look like crabs. That's true. Right. That's the main episode for this week. Welcome to the outro with fun features for you, such as help remembering this episode with a run back through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, many arthropod species carcinized. They separately evolved to match a crab's shape. And then many crab species separately evolved to walk on land. Takeaway number two, many hermit crabs choose to turn human trash into homes, especially plastic trash. Takeaway number three, the names for crabs and medical cancers come from ancient Greece and a myth equivalent of a video game grunt. Plus so many stats and numbers about the biggest and smallest crabs, crabs in every habitat in the world, the magic of horseshoe crab blood, and more. Those are the takeaways. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now if you support this show at MaximumFun.org. Members are the reason this podcast exists, so members get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is Amelia Earhart and the evidence for and against her getting eaten by crabs. Visit SIFpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than 15 dozen other secretly incredibly fascinating bonus shows, and a catalog of all sorts of Max Fun bonus shows. It's special audio. It is just for members. Thank you to everybody who backs this podcast operation. Additional fun things, check out our research sources on this episode's page at MaximumFun.org. Key sources this week include the book Walking Sideways, The Remarkable World of Crabs by Judith S. Weiss of Rutgers University, Newark. A lot of new studies, in particular 2023 and 2024 university work, and tons more digital resources from National Geographic, NPR, New Scientist Magazine, NASA, and more. That page also features resources such as native-land.ca, 
I'm using those to acknowledge that I recorded this in Lenape Hoking, the traditional land of the Muncie Lenape people and the Wappinger people, as well as the Mohican people, Scatagoke people, and others. Also, Katie taped this in the country of Italy, and I want to acknowledge that in my location, in many other locations in the Americas and elsewhere, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and join the free SIF Discord, where we're sharing stories and resources about native people and life. There is a link in this episode's description to join the Discord. We're also talking about this episode on the Discord, and hey, would you like a tip on another episode? Because each week I'm finding is something randomly incredibly fascinating by running all the past episode numbers through a random number generator. This week's pick is episode 155. That's about the topic of ice cream. Fun fact there, the United States and Cuba each tried to become the world leader in ice cream making and ice cream flavors to prove they had the best way of life in the Cold War. So I recommend that episode. I also recommend my co-host Katie Golden's weekly podcast, Creature Feature, about animals and science and more. If you like this episode at all, you will obviously love Creature Feature. Our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Special thanks to the Beacon Music Factory for taping support. Extra, extra special thanks go to our members, and thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.